Yes, it's silly time here at home. Oh, the hot weather brings it every year. Yes, it's silly time. La da Yes, the eyes and the ears of the world are upon you. Uh, bring uh, that up just a little bit there. We like to keep the troops there standing tight and nervous. Don't forget to keep your behind down friend. Give them a low silhouette and keep moving. Inch forward on your elbows. admit this is a very un-New York attitude I am displaying here because once again this warm weather has convinced me that New Yorkers don't like any weather. <laughs> I mean, they simply don't. In fact, uh, the, it, it's, oh, you know, the, the thing I, I dig about this kind of, this, this weather is, uh, is uh, it's, uh, it brings out the, the, the true silly of man. I mean, the real silly side. This is the silly season beginning here strong, and, and the silly season is one of my favorite seasons. And uh, the hot weather always brings it out. In fact, I announced today in an elevator, loudly and clearly, with about seven other people in the elevator, somebody says, oh, 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 is it hot enough for you? I said, no. I said, I really dig this. And there was a stunned silence in the elevator. And uh, immediately, four or five guys looked over at me, and one guy says, Are you kidding? I said, No, I'm not kidding. I happen to like hot weather very much. Oh, oh my God, what kind of a nut are you? Oh, wow. And that, of course, was general disbelief. Uh, the the, uh, the atmosphere said, Shepherd, or whoever this nut is that's in the elevator, most of the guys didn't know me, was obviously just putting them on. Nobody could like weather. Well, uh, that's, a, that's a true New York attitude. And uh, for those of you who live outside of the city, you've got to realize that New York has a whole set of special mystiques going for it, which have little to do with reality, nor the rest of the world. Uh, for example, uh, uh, you, you see it in, in magazine writing, it, uh, you know, the, the local magazines and papers like The Voice and all, very special. For one thing, there's no city in the world that believes it's more uh, beautiful and fantastically intelligent than the city of New York. And, I mean, New York is probably the most egotistical city this side of Paris. <laughs> I mean, they really believe. And, and, uh, in all kinds of ways. Uh, for example, in the current New York magazine, there's a whole big thing about the Knicks. You remember the Knicks? You remember all that? And, uh, and of course, uh, it's a fantastic love affair that, uh, that they purport is going on between New York and the Knicks. And in passing, they also maintain that basketball is a New York is the New York game. 
It's a, you know, it's the game. That, it's a New York game. Uh, yeah, but, you know, the rest of the country, I don't know what it is they're doing with bouncing them balls around, but they're not really playing basketball, which will come as a great surprise to anyone who's ever seen UCLA play. Uh, although UCLA, I guess, is considered an extension of Queens, uh, if you're Pete Hamill. However, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, of course, a team like the Knicks, this is part of the silly season, it's only considered a New York game when you win. Now, had the Knicks come in, say, seventh or eighth place in their league, it would not have been a New York game, and we would have called for a complete cleanup of the mess. And uh, there would have been a general... <laughs> so, so really, winning is the New York game. I don't think uh, basketball is a New York game, or football, or baseball. It's winning that's the New York game. And uh, I can remember a few years ago when the same love affair was going on between New York and the Mets. Well, that's all over now, along with the sinking batting averages and the rising injury lists. No, long, no longer is uh, Shea Stadium the home of the true New Yorker. And I suspect that by the middle of next season in the, in the NBA, uh, when they, and if the uh, Knicks are down around, the, you know, playing down around the Phoenix Suns, uh, that love affair will suddenly cool off. I just, uh, I just have a very strong suspicion. Don't you, Jerry? Well, that's New York. You know, you got to accept that. <laughs> and New York, New York is a city given to superlatives, especially when it's describing itself uh, as, you know, as a bastion of intelligence. It's the thinking man city, according. Or, you know, speaking of thinking, they also have a whole long piece in there about uh, about Archie Bunker's, uh, you know, the, the Archie Bunker attitude towards uh, Watergate. You saw that piece, very long involved piece, and uh, in the. In passing, they they maintain that you can always tell Archie Bunkers because they they think in stereotypes. Well, it seems to me that Archie Bunker is one of the greatest stereotypes to come down the pike since uh, since Uncle Tom since Uncle Tom himself. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it would seem to me that the, that the Archie Bunker stereotype is the greatest stereotype probably of modern times. But everyone thinks, no, it's not a stereotype. That's a true person. That's just the way it is. Well, all people who believe in stereotypes believe that the people that they stereotype really exist in that pristine quality. So, you know, this is all part of the silly season. And there's the, the, the other side of the silly season that I, I kind of enjoy is, uh, is, the, is uh, the ads. I mean, the, the ads during this time of the year are rivaled only by the pre-Christmas ads for true nuttiness. Because you see, uh, you see all kinds of... Uh, of uh, gift ideas, uh, for example, Father's Day gift ideas and all kinds of stuff like that. Now, one of the best ones I've seen in recent years uh, was in the paper the other day. It's a suggestion for a gift, a thoughtful gift, and it's a gold-plated, 14-carat, by the way, gold-plated, pearl-handled bicycle tire pump uh, for the father that has everything. comes in a lizard-skin shoulder holster, and uh, somehow this, <laughs> this this contains so much of uh, of the of the uh, silly season uh, right there. It's it's kind of uh, it's kind of uh, in a sense uh, well like uh, like frozen lemonade. It's concentrated right at that point. And uh, so the silly season has many ramifications. I uh, I uh, y- you see it happening. For example, the other day uh, I walk into uh, late at night. You see it happening in New York. This guy rushes out of a car. It's 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. And he rushes into this ice cream joint 
down in the village. And I happen to be in there, see, and I'm, I'm, uh, you know, walking around trying to buy some ordinary stuff. And all of a sudden, this guy rushes in, and he's wearing madras shorts, and he's got a wild look in his eye, and he says, he says, hey, hey, kid, and he's hollering at the kid behind the counter. Kid says, uh, yeah, you know what he wants? He says, you got any banana nut ice cream? The guy says, banana nut ice cream? Uh, I don't know. Take a look over in the case. And with that, the guy rushes over to, this is 2.30 in the morning, remember, he runs over to the case and he starts looking through the case. There were about 500 different types of ice creams in there. And he's throwing the ice cream all over, and finally he stands up with great disgust. He said, what kind of joint is this? No banana, not ice cream. And he rushes out into the street. <laughs> Once again, another New Yorker has discovered a failure on the part of his fellow man. But, uh, which incidentally is a, is a New York specialty. Uh, discovering failure on the part of your fellow man. Uh, discovering failures of your own is a very rare quality. This hardly ever happens. But if you can discover the other guy's failures, you very well could get booked down into the bitter end. If you could set it to music, you'd probably uh, have a couple of good bestsellers going for you. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's all part of the... And, 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 and don't get me wrong, as uh, one of those Hollywood columnists says, I love the town, I really do. And it's this... It's this side of the town, and my qualifications are as good as anybody else around here writing about the town. And uh, uh, my, you know, my feeling about the town is one of, of continuing, improving affection due to this a curious streak of illogic that runs through the city. Uh, it's it's like you know what it's like. It's like being in love with a with a with a very with a very dangerous, uh, often quite illogical woman. And uh, that can be very intriguing. Uh, it also can be very dangerous. <laughs> I mean, you wind up. <laughs> so, so you can't you can't really take New York too seriously. On the other hand, that's part of its charm. You know, it's it's one giant uh, continual chess game, uh, which uh, and on the one hand, uh, you find you find the the New York writers uh, just absolutely. Uh, frustrated because of what they call the decay of the city. Uh, they say this all the time. They're constantly saying how terrible the city is. It's decayed terribly. And in the next breath, they turn right around and say that New York is the Athens of the world. And that, uh, <laughs> and, you know, so it, it's difficult to know which side. Uh, and that's what makes something silly. See, silliness means that nothing is really serious. It's just kind of fun. And uh, the guy running into the smilers at at 2.30 in the morning and flying into a rage because they, hey, you ain't got no banana nut ice cream. What kind of joint is this? This, uh, this uh, is, is quintessent, it's the quintessence of the New York attitude. Uh, and uh, he, he ran out of the place there with his shoulders sloping downward, you know, in total disgust with the failure of this, <laughs> this place to provide banana nut ice cream. So I walk up to the kid and you know I'm buying this stuff there, and he's he's banging away at the. And this is again, this is part of the New York repartee. See, uh, I, I uh, hand him the the buck, you know, and I'm getting the the purchase there, which as you can see, being in New York in the two thirty in the morning at Smiley's was a very small purchase, handing him a buck. So he's he's hitting the keys, and I said, uh, "Too bad you ain't got no banana nut ice cream, huh?" And he looks at me and he says, "Ah," I said. Guy's probably from out of town. <laughs> 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 
which, uh, which of course, is, is again the quintessence of New York attitudes. That, uh, that uh, like, uh, like uh, you, you ride around in the cabs here in New York, and you get it, uh, you get it again in the, in the great uh, solidified or condensed version. Like I'm, uh, see the the cab drivers, like all of New Yorkers, are torn between love and hate. It's a love-hate relationship. And so uh, you get into a cab at 6th Avenue, the temperature's 105 degrees, and the, you're expected to say what a rotten day it is. You're just expected to say that. Uh, the, the news stations in town are very funny. Uh, I, uh, I listen to them occasionally, and uh, there's no pleasing them as far as weather's concerned. This is, uh, and they reflect adequately the New York attitude. So just a few weeks ago, you remember when it was uh, we, we were having no spring at all, and they were griping constantly because the temperature was in the 50s. Well, it's another bad day today, though. The news today is the weather, folks. Yes, when will spring ever come here in New York? We'll have Herman Appleby along with the weather forecast in just a few minutes, but uh, it's all bad news and downhill all the way. The temperature right now in midtown New York is 57 degrees. The humidity is 74%. It's another rotten day. Ho, ho, I wonder what ever happened to the spring. Ha, <laughs> ha. You remember we used to have springs, folks? Well, then about uh, ten minutes later, yeah, it just seems like the same guy is saying, well, once again, the weather is all bad news today. Uh, the temperature was in the 90s once again. Uh, it was an unbearable day here in New York. We'll have Herman Appleby along with the weather. And I've discovered that there's about a maybe a two and a half to a three degree latitude that is called tolerable living in New York. If the t if, uh, to a New Yorker, if the temperature is roughly between 76 and 77 and a half, maybe 78 degrees, and that's the farthest limit. That will be, well, yeah, it was, yeah, it was all right today. <laughs> yeah, 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 all right, okay. But I'll tell you this, he's always got to have this little, uh, uh, now, the humidity cannot vary between roughly, if the humidity rises above 35%, that is intolerable. If it drops below 30%, he says, oh, my sinuses are killing me today. This dry winter, and uh, you know what they're having to do? They're, uh, they're, they're uh, rationing water out in Queens. You can't even wash your car. You can't, uh, you can't uh, sprinkle the lawn, nothing like that. What kind of weather is this? So it, uh, it <laughs> so this is, so you, you got you to gotta accept this as part of the sewing season and uh, enjoy it for what it is. Don't ever take a New Yorker's complaining seriously. Uh, you, you don't. Uh, this is part, uh, you have to learn. I think this is why a lot of guys coming from out of town can't make the transition to New York for some time. Uh, this is, by the way, WOR New York, uh, your station for the totally realized, deeply concerned complaint. And uh, you, you've got you've to learn the local mores, you see. I, I remember that when I came back, when I first came into New York to live, but it's been a long time ago, and, uh, and when I first came to New York, it took me a good year or so to, to learn that this is ritual in New York. It's a ritual. The, the ritualistic part of New York is the constant rolling paranoiac gripe. Uh, whoever is in, in the White House is obviously a crook. Uh, this, is, this is for starters in New York. Whoever is in City Hall is obviously a crook. 
who is running for uh, office is uh, obviously a crook, unless he happens to be the one that I'm for. Unfortunately, I realize he will turn out to be a crook after he gets in. So <laughs> this is <laughs> this is the New York belief, and it's uh, you got to learn this stuff. And I I remember when I first came to New York, I I, uh, I walked into an elevator. See, I was living right here in the heart of Times Square. I lived on 49th Street, you know. I mean, that's about as New York as you can get. 49th Street, right off of 7th Avenue. Now, that's the real thing, as they say in, in uh, Alabama. You know, that's the real thing. Well, I, I, uh, I, I'm innocent, you know. I come from a part of the country and uh, most of the other parts. And when somebody says something, he actually means it, you know. And that you hear a guy complaining about uh, uh, the city hall. You, you know, he means this. He's mad at the mayor, you see. And he has a reason to do so. So I, I'm, uh, I get in the elevator, see, and I said, uh, I got in the elevator, and uh, I'm riding up and down, uh, going out and coming back, and I got to know this guy that's driving the elevator, too. It, it, he's he's an, uh, almost, uh, again, he's almost a distilled New Yorker. You know, 37 years running an elevator in a Times Square hotel and, uh, you know, selling a little pornography on the side and arranging for a little... Uh, uh, you know, a little uh, social contact on the side, too. You know, this guy, he, he's got it all going. So <laughs> he's selling it all. So, so we're, we're, we're riding up the elevator one night. It's about 3 o'clock in the morning. And I said to him, um, I just, you know, passing, I said, uh, what's the matter, Jake? You look kind of bugged. Ah, Staten, that Wagner, what a crook, that Wagner. At that time, you can see Mayor Wagner was in. He said, ah, oh, that Wagner, what a crook. And I said, why, what did he do? What do you mean, what did he do? You, you, well, he's a politician, right? You look at a paper, and uh, look, look at this stuff. Uh, did you see what he's trying to do? He's going to license all the elevators. What kind of cockamamie idea is this, you know? After all, okay, uh, I don't want Canelo got their hand out. It's a whole bunch of, you know, the whole business with the mafia. That wagon, what a crook. Well, I said, uh, well, gee, uh, uh, you don't like Wagner. Oh, are you kidding? Who could like Wagner? Are you kidding? I said, uh, well... Uh, what about, uh, the, gee, you know, a couple of your mayors have been chased. The one mayor uh, just recently was chased down to Mexico. I think he took up residence in Mexico with, uh, you know, with uh, all kinds of hanky-panky. Now, wait a minute. Now, I'll tell you, that guy, that guy was framed. Uh, I, I'll tell you, he was framed. Well, of course, I, I, I thought that maybe he was framed. I, I, I thought, you know, very seriously at that time, being new from out of town, I didn't know this. But I realize that the New York attitude is that you are infinitely permissive over the things that you like. In other words, no matter, uh, you know, if, if you like something, it can do anything. If uh, you don't like something, it can do no right. <laughs> which is part of the, you know, the whole, the, the whole New York Center, which I, which I kind of like. I, I, uh, I enjoy that. Uh, and, uh, and again, it's that love-hate relationship. You, you ride in the camp, see... And uh, the other day, I, I saw a classic example of this. And uh, we are standing down around 34th Street, see? We've been there for about 20 minutes. This fantastic traffic jam. The heat is beaten down. And, uh, I, you know, you can always start a torrent of a conversation going with any cab driver by merely mentioning traffic. Just say it. Just say, uh, hey, uh, wow. And he looks in the mirror to see, you know, what kind of a crook he's got now in a bank seat. And then you say, oh, wow, traffic. At which point you have touched the, the you have touched the, 
the magic button. And he says, yeah, for traffic, you uh, you bring that up. It's that crook, let Lindsay. It's the crook Lindsay. I says, you mean Lindsay's causing all this traffic? Oh, come on. You, are you kidding? Of course, we uh, the traffic was nothing like this until this, this clown got in the office. He got in there, and uh, this clown got in the office. Well, of course, see, I love to bait him. So I said, well, wait a minute. Now, I was riding around in these cabs, buddy, uh, when when uh, Wagner was in the office, and you guys used to say, if they could only get that crook Wagner out, everything would be better. He said, what do you mean, Wagner? You, you don't mean to tell me you think that Wagner was as bad as this clown that's in the office now. <laughs> they call that guy the mayor. All he does is ride around on a bicycle with that beautiful people up and down in the park. That's what that guy does. What kind of a crook is that guy? I said, well, now, just a minute now. Uh, uh, you, you, were you for Wagner when Wagner was in? Well, now, wait a minute now. Uh, that's an unfair question. Now, now that you bring it up, uh, well, I'll tell you this. Uh, now, looking back on it, Wagner was a lot better than this crook. I said, no, wait a minute. Are you telling me you were not for Wagner when he was in? Well, Lala, what do you mean? Now, come on. Some of the things he did was good. Some of the things he did was bad. Now, look at this traffic jam we got here. I said, well, what would you do about the traffic jam? Well, I'll tell you what I would do. I would ban all civilian cars from the highway completely. I would allow no civilian cars. If this guy, this crook that's in the office now, if he wanted to do something about the, the, the traffic, well, he would simply say no, no, no private cars in New York, that's all. No private cars. I said, well, where do you live? Well, why? What's that got to do with it? I said, well, where do you live? Well, I live over in Jersey. I come over here every day to have a camp. I said, well, what would you do if they said no private cars in Jersey? Would you like that? What's that got to do with it? I want to tell you this. I ought to, they ought to just eliminate... See, logic has no, no place in this kind of argument. They ought to eliminate all traffic from this city. Uh, because if they did that, then there would be no problem with getting around in the town. I said, yeah, but it looks to me, looking around here, that almost all the cars in this traffic jam are cabs. I don't see any civilian cars at all. Nothing but yellow cars all around me here. Yeah, but that's what I say. If they eliminate all the civilian cars, we wouldn't have no traffic problems. I said, well, that's not what I said, buddy. I said all these cars that are around here are cabs. Look at that guy up ahead of you there. He's been stopped for about five minutes. Where do you think he's going? Look, I say, if they eliminate all the civilian cars, we wouldn't have any problems. So I sat back in my seat, you know, and I, I realized right now, you know, <laughs> this is a classic New York discussion. So it, 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 almost all the almost all of the uh, problems resolve down to one thing in New York. If we can eliminate the other guy, uh, that's really basically where it lays. And the other guy is whoever's, you know, if, if you're driving a truck, eliminate the cabs. If you're driving a cab, eliminate the trucks. If you're driving a if you're driving a private car, eliminate the cabs and the trucks. If you're <laughs> so so, this is all part of the silly season, which uh, which I th I find. Uh, and have you noticed too? Uh, part of the silly season here is is the sports writers. They have a very interesting attitude in New York. I think I think New York sports writers one have the greatest command of invective. Two, the shortest memories of, of any writers working. So uh, I was, it was fascinating to see the day after Secretariat clobbered him at Belmont. 
I mean, oh, fantastic. <laughs> How quickly all the various writers who had been saying Secretariat was very suspicious due to the fact that he lost that one race one time in the wood, and uh, he has very uh, inauspicious bloodlines, and that uh, we're going to have to watch uh, Cockamamie Joe, who's uh, looking real good, and uh, you, you completely forgotten. Completely. The next day... Uh, you would never believe that that that, uh, that any of the sports writers had ever suggested that Secretariat was other than a fantastically great horse, which is all part of the of the New York syndrome. You you just plunge on. You never recognize your own uh, your own failings. You agree with that? Absolutely. Your own failings. That's that's what's important. Uh, speaking of failings, we have this little thing here in the station. We have a real weakness for commercials, don't we? Yeah, yeah, okay, very good. Here's a suggestion when you're going to make your chocolate nuts, make it out of good water. And uh, we have a suggestion here Mountain Valley water from Hot Springs, Arkansas has been proven by 100 continuous years of use. It's the only water popular across the nation. Mountain Valley water's mellow taste and satisfying effect will convince you that it's right. So for a free folder and price list or to have Mountain Valley water, that's Mountain Valley water delivered to you, you just mail a card to WOR, New York, 10018, and just write water on it. And they'll know that you're out there in the desert crawling on hands and knees with your tongue hanging out. Just write, water, help! And they'll send water to you. Or a telephone in New York. The number is Bryant 95252. And if you live over in Parched, New Jersey, it's area code 201-748. Parched is just uh, south of Plainfield. Uh, 201-748. You didn't get that. 201-748-6868. Yeah, that's all right. Sometimes I'm a little quick for you there. Let's see. We have um, House of Chan. All right, let's get House of Chan out of the way. House of Chan is a good Chinese restaurant here in town. And if you're uh, trotting into town here one of these days to examine and enjoy the uh, wonderful, curious uh, Alice in Wonderland New York mores, uh, I would suggest that you drop into the House of Chan. A couple of Harvey wall bangers. Who drinks them bad things? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's uh, that's all. Uh, it, it, this, that's what makes this town fascinating. I really find that uh, that if this town was consistent in its attitudes, and that's true of any place, really, it's the intransigence, intransigent part of the town. It's the, it's, the, it's the unpredictable, yet predictable, that is, uh, uh, that is New York, really. That uh, that I, I I can predict uh, after living in this town for so long I can I can pick up a newspaper, and before any event is even reported, before I've read a word about any event, I can almost predict with 100% accuracy what various papers, what various columnists are going to say about it. Before I've even read them, <laughs> the predictability of of this town is. But there's one thing that they're all convinced on. New York is the worst place in the world to live, and New York is the greatest place in the world to live, often said in the same column. Uh, and and uh, this, this, uh, this love-hate relationship runs through most of New York, 
uh, certainly through the press in New York, and, and it always has been part of the New York attitude. You know, that goes all the way back to the, to the uh, 17th century, as a matter of fact. You wear this? That's not a new thing in New York. Uh, that back in the days when the Dutch were living here, uh, this was way back in, you know, the, the uh, late 17th century, early 18th century in that period, that, uh, that there are many writings that still remain that sound almost like a contemporary Pete Hamill column, uh, complaining about venality on high places, and at the same time, the column always is in love with the people. There's a thing called the people. And the people are all basically beautiful and lovely. <laughs> and it's the, it's the evil uh, politicians. And uh, this, this goes all the way back to the Dutch. You wear that? Uh, that I, read, I read a piece written by a Dutch writer of about uh, oh, 1690 or 1710, something like that. And I suspect that, uh, that the reason that this is so, there's a lot of reasons that been advanced for this, but New York is one of the very few cities uh, that, uh, in the world, really, where large numbers of people have come from other parts of the world and have not left and have retained their basic uh, uh, national characteristics from the previous place they came from. So you'll find New York, uh, I think the thing that sets New York apart from this, most other places is, like, for example, if you go to Cincinnati or if you go to uh, Minneapolis, you, you talk to guys in Minneapolis and most of them don't consider themselves Norwegians or Swedes or Bulgars or whatever it is. You know, they, they consider themselves Minnesotans or they consider themselves uh, uh, Americans, really. Uh, and so you say, well, what is your background? Well, gee, you know, my great-great-grandfather came from Stockholm, someplace like that. But that's not a central fact of their lives. But in New York, I think that New York is, is a curious town in that most people consider themselves Italian, or they consider themselves Greek, or they consider themselves uh, whatever it happens to be, uh, in spite of the fact that many of them have never even been in those places. They've never been there, and they and they're in generations back. Nobody's been in those places in their family, but they still consider themselves basically Irish or basically uh, Greek or basically German or whatever it might be, which which presents some very curious problems to New York. <laughs> and and uh, and uh, it's uh, it's it's unique, and I think this uh, unique to America, and it's unique really to the cities of the world. I don't know of any city that's quite like that uh, to such an extent. Uh, but, uh, you know, this, this is just a casual passing observation. But I have been in most of the major cities in the world. I've been in, uh, in fact, all the major cities in the world and many of the minor cities of the world. And I have never found this particular trend as completely embodied as it is in New York. Uh, New York uh, average guy doesn't consider himself uh, American. He doesn't. He considers himself Irish. Jimmy Breslin calls himself an Irishman. You know, <laughs> he's like no Irishman I've ever seen, having been in Ireland. Uh, he's about as quintessence of, of America as you can find. But he he believes he's an Irishman, and this uh, this is one of the one of the curious, I suppose you might say, part and parcel of the morality of uh, of. Uh, the way New York views itself. It doesn't view itself as an American city. It views itself as a conglomerate city. 
that combines many different nationalities. And uh, they remain those nationalities uh, very strongly. They remain them. And uh, so religious attitudes are very much like that here in this town, too. Uh, and uh, so it's a, it's, a curious, uh, it's a curious thing. Now, I guess it's considered uh, to a New Yorker this is a very normal thing. He, he, he thinks this is a, a quite uh, normal way to be. Well, if you define normality as the way most people in the world are, this is not quite normal. It's a separate and distinct thing. And I suspect that this comes from the, uh, the fact that New York has a city. And again, this is all uh, just a casual observation, having lived in the town for a long time. Uh, I make a few casual observations, but I think it's because, among other things, it's one of the few cities in the world, really, that is basically an island city. There is actually a, a division between this city and the rest of the country. And it's, it's, it's in water. There it is. There's water flowing right there. And so you can see this water across uh, the Hudson. Over there is, is another world. It's, it's, a, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's another way of life. And uh, I wonder what New York would have been like had there not been a Hudson River. No, it would have been an interesting thought. You see, because I think the Hudson River has isolated, or at least it's given a psychological sense of isolation to the city uh, since time immemorial. Even, of course, the river was there during the days of the Dutch. So, uh, so the fact that they lived remote from the rest of the country living across there, which was the mainland, uh, there, there was always a sense of uh, apartness. Uh, there was a sense of being uh, being separated from them, and that they were different. <laughs> and and you know this is in a way a uh, uh, characteristic of most island islands in general. That if you if you've spent much time uh, looking at, at islands, say uh, out in the South Sea Island group and and down into in the uh, Caribbean, you'll find that the islands are very very nationalistic. Uh, extremely so. Uh, you'll not find many guys from one island who have much good to say about guys from the next island. It's just a fact. And uh, you see that even in the intersquabbling that goes on down in the Caribbean, uh, that, the, that the island people have very little use for each other, but they do have complete involvement with their own island. So the island uh, concept is, uh, is pretty interesting. And uh, when you come over to New York, and when you, when you become an integral part of the New York life, you accept that as a part of life. You accept the fact that New Yorkers generally consider themselves to be very special people, as any island group does, uh, <laughs> and completely remote from the rest, not uh, psychologically, philosophically, every other way. And it's, a, it's kind of, a, it's kind of a, a characteristic of islands of one sort or another. Now... Uh, Across the river, of course, you find the reverse, uh, really, a sense of alienation often from those people living on the island, uh, that the island people are strange, inexplicable people who, uh, who live, uh, live their own particular, curious, very distinctive lives. And uh, they're too suspicious, but not nearly as suspicious as the island people are of them because they're usually much larger. There's much greater diversity over there, you know, much greater vast scope. And so the paranoia of island people has been well-established. 
uh, over the centuries. Uh, that that uh, the, the warfare that goes on between island people and the next island is an old old story to anthropologists, and uh, this is this is almost like tribal war. That the people living on an island tend to view the rest of the people as part of another tribe, even though they themselves. Well, England, England is a classic example of an island nation that never considered itself part of uh, part of Europe for generation, for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years. And yet, uh, how, how, how wide is the channel? Forty miles, maybe. It's, it's not, it's uh, even less than that in places. Uh, well, it's, it's narrow enough that people can swim it, <laughs> so you know it can't be too much. And yet, they have always considered themselves as part of a very special, beleaguered group. And incidentally, curiously enough, Island people have one other thing in common with the, them with with each other. They they tend be, since they are very very self-involved uh, by nature of their geographical uh, situation. They tend to become uh, tremendously egotistical, and so the the belief that the, the that the Englishman had back in the 18th and 19th centuries that he had to bring uh, culture to the rest of the world. That it was his duty, that the, you know, the, the the burden of the Englishman to bring culture to the rest of the world, civilization to the rest of the world, was was really basically an offshoot of his island attitude, that the rest of the world is living in this uh, howling, uh, howling barbaric world. They're 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 out there, the, the howling barbarism, and it is our duty to go out and uh, to quell them and to to bring them life and to bring them culture and society. Uh, this uh, this has also been characteristic of many island groups throughout history. You're, yeah, I don't know how I got on this. <laughs> and and, and uh, so the the uh, belief that the New Yorker has that he should bring his culture to all all uh, other parts of the of the country is based historically on the historical place of an island in its own eyes. Uh, that uh, this is not new that it would never occur, say, to a guy living in, uh, say, for example, let's just take a, a major city. Let's take, uh, for example, uh, Chicago, uh, Los Angeles. It would never occur to a guy in Chicago that, uh, that the Chicago attitude uh, is, is the, uh, should be exported all around. That the, the, the Chicago-ness <laughs> is, a, uh, is, is a specific attitude. And yet, yet in New York, it is believed that, you know, New York is New York attitude is a specific thing, and and uh, it is it, it represents civilization. That uh, and and, and uh, if the rest of the country were like that, it would be far better. Uh, so this is you know this is a classical thing, and and, and it's, this is going to be defined by a lot of New Yorkers listening to me. As if you know, Shepard is obviously not a true New Yorker, or he would believe all these things. <laughs> I'm just commenting as a as a New Yorker. I'm probably as true a New Yorker today as you can get. Having lived in the in the island itself, inner city, by the way, in case you're curious, for a long, long time, you know that I lived here longer than than Gay Talese. In case you're curious, yes, that's right. Uh, Talese, Talese. When I came to New York, Talese was still living in Jersey, <laughs> and I know him. So, so you know, who who is a New Yorker? That's that's a matter of definition. I guess a New Yorker is one who automatically agrees with all the attitudes. And you become a real New Yorker, and uh, 
And uh, I I, uh, I love the city. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. It's obvious. That's uh, I love it. And uh, but it does have fascinating views. And uh, and I'm I'm uh, I suppose uh, sitting back uh, enjoying those diversity of views. You know, uh, a funny thing about this city, though, this city is 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 conve- is, con- is is composed really of true believers and scoffers, both in the same man. In other words, uh, you, a classic example is a typical New York Post columnist who was a who was a you know a dedicated scoffer that uh, that out there all this venality is going on, and, uh, and 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 laced with that is the belief. A complete belief in the superiority of New York, the New Yorker, the New York way of life, which is really characteristic of the old-fashioned uh, Babbitt. Uh, Babbitt. You know who Babbitt was? Babbitt was a famous character out of fiction uh, that was created by Sinclair Lewis. And uh, Babbitt even has entered the language. Babbitt is a man who believes his way of life is absolutely, infinitely superior to the way of life of all those around him, and that that, that he's he's on top of it. He he, he just believes that that uh, and he's a booster. See, in other words, Babbitt was always boosting a town called what? What was the name of his town? Well, he was he believed in his town so much that he was always boosting it. Now, I'll just let you think about that. We'll see what kind of a literary head you got. So to me, this this is very similar to the uh, to to the attitude you find in a lot of writers today, uh, writing in in most of the papers in New York. It's a great belief that all good springs from this town. Now, uh, it, it uh, Babbitt Babbitt could not write about the Knicks. Uh, he, uh, that's a classic example of, uh, of of Babbittry to believe somehow that uh, that the. Uh, only because they win. This is important to remember. Uh, and they make of going to the basketball game a kind of religion. It's a religious thing. You're praying at the shrine of New York ease or New Yorkism. And uh, uh, if if some guy wrote that, if some guy wrote that same stuff, say from Los Angeles, if he says, you know, going to a UCLA game is a religious rite that we're celebrating. Uh, Los Angelism. We're celebrating the game that has been brought to absolute perfection in this city, and it's it's it represents the attitude of the way of life of our town, and that all these people who work together so beautifully to create this theme are really representative of all of us. They think like us. They they cooperate, which is the one thing, by the way, New Yorkers do not do with each other. That <laughs> the teamwork of this town, they've made this an integral team thing, which is so typical of New York. Oh, come on. I mean, we would laugh like hell if we, if, if we found that way. But in New York, it seems to make sense, which uh, I find uh, kind of touching in a way, you know. I, I, I like to see the... Uh, and yet, on the other hand, it could be dangerous in a curious way. If Babbitt was dangerous blowing the horn for Zenith, that was the name of his town. Zenith, Main Street. If Babbitt was was dangerous, blowing the horn for his town. Well, then I wonder whether we're dangerous, blowing the horn for our town. I mean, blowing it uh, to the exclusion of even admitting the others have even got a town. <laughs> I mean, you know, 
they're living somehow. And, and I can't help it myself, because I know that whenever I get out of New York, I, I constantly find myself uh, in, in hassles with people telling them how great this city is and how it's the best place in the world, and I wouldn't live anyplace else. And my God, the Knicks are representative of all of us. But the way Dollar Bill plays that uh, plays that uh, backcourt and the way uh, Walt Fraser brings that ball up, it's, it's representative of the way we all are. Live, hard-hitting, dynamic. Hooray! Excelsior, New York. That was an honor.